the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You can hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else is hands-free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend. A good day in church yesterday. We did here. Lots and lots of people and people got saved. That was neat. We had a 12-year-old get saved uh, in one of our services and he was so excited and so thrilled. And I just thought, oh, dear Lord, you are so good to us. And um, I mean, that's why we get here. We come here to to uh, meet Jesus. And I got to introduce some people to Jesus yesterday. Hey, quick scheduling note. Tonight, we have our final sweet summer devotion uh, for the summer program. Uh, Tenille Smith will be speaking. Uh, Tenille, I love this girl. She is so deep in my heart. Uh, for lots of reasons, but you will be blessed. She's full of energy. She's fun, and uh, I can't wait to hear what she has to say. I'll have to wait until tomorrow, but um, she'll be here at 7 o'clock. And remember, if you're here in person, you get to participate in the Q&A and the, 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 the ministry follow-up that happens after she goes off the air live, and it's always going to be a neat thing. So... Um, 7 o'clock here tonight at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. The men meet at the same time, and then the junior high school and the high schools also meet at the same time, so you can bring your whole families. And if you have kids younger than junior high, uh, we have people to watch for them and talk to them about Jesus tonight as well. So that's at 7 o'clock. Uh, you can live stream it at calvarysa.com. I feel like I'm forgetting something But at my age, I'm always forgetting something. So let me just go to some questions that are on the board while we await your phone call. Our first question is anonymous from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, in yesterday's message in Acts 16, you mentioned that Timothy's mother was saved. Is that because she's a Jew, as mentioned in verse 1? Otherwise, how do you know? Uh, Anonymous, it says pretty clearly that she is a believer. Verse 1 of chapter 16 says that uh, uh, he's Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer. 
but whose father was Greek. So the fact that she was both Jewish and a believer indicates uh, very clearly that she had been one to Jesus Christ. Uh, and that is uh, in part due to the influence of her mother. And uh, Paul makes reference to Timothy um, uh, in a later epistle uh, regarding the same thing. So there's no doubt that her mother was a believer and not because uh, she was Jewish. Jews needed to convert then and now. Um, you know, when, when God says that the Jews are my covenant people, he's talking about the nation of Israel, not individual Jews. And um, Jews have to be saved just like everybody else. A great reference for you, Anonymous, is Romans chapter 9, the first four verses. Uh, but, but, of course, Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and then his entire ministry ministering to the Jews who are surrounding him. So that's how we know for sure she was a believer. Glad you listened to the message yesterday. Here is a question. This one is from Nacho from our email inbox. Pastor Ron in Acts 16, 15, it says that Lydia and her household were baptized. This made me think about Cornelius the centurion and his family and close friends and how the Holy Spirit fell upon them in Acts chapter 10. They too were baptized. My question is, do you think that the Holy Spirit fell on Lydia's household in a same or similar manner? Nacho, probably not. You know, in um, Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and all of those in Cornelius, how they began to speak in other tongues. And this was a sign. Now remember, up to this point, the church was in entirely Jewish, uh, and and as a result, Jews still didn't know that God had any plan to include Gentiles at all. Now they should have, because the Old Testament prophets uh, promised that. But they had no idea that God would use Gentiles, and uh, this was a sign that the Spirit fell upon them and that they spoke in other tongues, just like what happened when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, gives Peter pause to say, well, you know, it's clear now that God accepts them just as he accepted us, and he and Paul will both make reference to that. So probably in Lydia's case, there wasn't an outpouring of gifts of the Spirit, although it's possible. But the reality, Nacho, is that we're not told. And uh, really, there isn't any value in speculating at all regarding what happened. If it was important, the Holy Spirit would have included it in the passage of Scripture. Uh, But Lydia and her household were Gentiles. What is important about this passage of Scripture is that that Lydia, and I made mention of this in the Bible study yesterday, but but Lydia, uh, when she got saved, when God came into her heart, Uh, She immediately was obedient to the teaching she heard, and clearly the teaching would have included baptism. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch when when he said to Philip, well, what keeps me from being baptized in water? And Philip would have said nothing, but but Philip would have explained the importance, the value of the public profession of faith via water baptism, and uh, Lydia would have done the same thing. you would be baptized and uh, she would have been thrilled to have been baptized. And the example she set and her obedience was then used by God to convince her whole household. Now, that doesn't mean it was family. It could have been some family members there. But more likely, these were the people that worked for her or the people that helped run her business. She was very wealthy, a seller of purple cloth, purple dye. Uh, live, her, her main residence was in Thyatira. And um, uh, her obedience was used by the Lord to minister to the others, and the entire uh, household got saved. And I always think, you know, what a what a much better workplace, what a more joyful workplace it was when all of the people who were there every day uh, were saved and, and became believers. Lydia uh, is an interesting case study. I told the church yesterday that as I ended with Lydia, I said, next week we have a, a completely different sort of woman who barges onto the scene. And uh, uh, it's it's just the character studies in the book of Acts are really interesting, and I think sometimes we um, speed by them too quickly. So next week, it's a slave girl who was following Paul around for many days, Uh, and what she was saying was true, 
but um, the association with the demonic spirit that was in her uh, was troublesome to Paul. So that's our study in uh, finishing Acts chapter 16 next week. Thank you for the question, Nacho. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's another anonymous question. Um, I really want to feel the presence of God. It makes me wonder whether or not I'm really saved. Can you help? And I'm assuming anonymous, you mean because you don't feel the presence of God, makes you wonder if you're saved. A couple of things. Remember, we're not saved by feelings. We're not saved by uh, our emotions. We're not saved by an experience. We're saved by the Son of God. Now, we have to walk by faith here and not our feelings. And a lot of times, Anonymous, and I'm, I'm often critical of this, you know, we Christians are so casual and cavalier with our words. You know, we'll say things like, oh, uh, the, the, I feel the presence of the Lord. And, and uh, you know, that's not an ordinary experience. And normally what people mean when they say, I feel the, ex- the, the presence of the Lord, it means, well, I got goosebumps. I've had people all the time show me, oh, look at my arm, Pastor Ron, I've got goosebumps everywhere. Um, that, that's not what saves us. Now, there are times when our relationship with Jesus becomes emotional. There's times when you can feel um, that he's, he's with you. Normally, that will happen when you need him. I mean, desperately need him when you're, when you're all alone or when you're in danger or when you're going through something really difficult or even grief. But most of the time when we Christians say, I feel his presence, we're talking about some experience that has no merit at all when it comes to being saved. I think of the Mormons who talk about a burning in the bosom. They would say, well, just read this, uh, the pearl of great price. Just read that and you'll, you'll get a burning in your bosom. Well, that's a very unreliable feeling and it would lead us astray. So um, uh, Anonymous, don't worry about what you feel. What you've got to do is understand by faith the the truth of the promises of Jesus. He said, uh, if you're born again, he will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. That's his presence. And we need uh, to know his presence uh, is there regardless of how we feel. Anonymous, I think of Thomas, you know, when uh, Jesus was crucified and the disciples were were uh, gathered together in the upper room out of fear of the Jews, uh, word came back that uh, Jesus was alive. The tomb was empty, and some of the people said that, that they saw him. And Thomas, out of all the others, Thomas said, I will not believe unless I touch the scars in his hands and the scar in his side. And Thomas left. And for a week he departed the company of the other disciples, and um, um, the other disciples uh, didn't have the same issues. And, and later, Thomas, a week later, in fact, when Thomas was back with with them, Jesus appeared. He walked through a, a door, a wall, and, and just appeared and said, Peace be with you. And and um, he showed Thomas's hands and his side, and Thomas fell and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said something funny. He said, Thomas, Thomas, blessed or happy are you because you've seen and believed, but blessed, and the idea is a greater blessing or more blessed, are those who believe and haven't seen. And that's the message I want to leave you with, Anonymous. It's it's much better just to know by faith, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's going on, to know by faith that he's there. Now, I'm also going to, this isn't judging you because I don't know you, but it is probable that you're not in the Word. You need to soak yourself in the Word. You need to believe and hold on to its promises. And if you're not in the Word, then you're going to have a difficult time experiencing the Lord um, because it's the Word of God. It's the Bible that that tells us how to do that. It's the Bible that, that, that tells us who He is and what promises that He's made to us. So read the Bible. Read the Bible. Take walks with Jesus. Be alone. And if I could say this to you, I can say it to everybody. When you're alone with Jesus, don't take a cell phone. Uh, don't hang out with other people. Just spend some time with the Lord. And Anonymous, if you say, Lord, I really want to feel your presence. I want to experience it. He'll meet you there as well. Now, it might be a one-time thing, but that's okay. Because it's just him saying to you, he's meeting you where you are. 
And if you are a new believer and the question sounds like you are, he will meet you where you are and he will give you the experience that you need. You might as well ask him for spiritual gifts and anything else anonymous. God loves to show off for his brand new babies in the Lord. So remember, it's faith and not feelings that make the difference. 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Toll free, you can call 877-630-KSLR. Here's another anonymous question. Ooh, this is a tough one. How can I accept the love of a father in heaven when my real father was so cruel to me? Anonymous, you are not alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13 starts out saying, No trial has seized you except that which is common to man. And as a pastor for 28 years, I can tell you there are scores and scores and scores of people who have come to me because receiving the love of a, of a heavenly father uh, is impossible or difficult for them uh, when, in fact, their earthly father uh, fell way, way short and caused so much pain in so many people's lives. So here's the first step. You've got to accept the fact by faith that Jesus proved his love for you. The Father sent his Son and proved his love for you. He valued you, Anonymous, more than he valued the life, the physical life of his own Son. And you've got to just understand that. The second step for you is you've got to stop blaming the Father in heaven for the um, shortcomings, the failures of of human fathers. Don't blame God for the, the, the pain that your earthly father caused. Uh, my father was not... I'm sorry, my father was not abusive, um, but boy, he was hard. He was a Marine DI and and um, a big voice and a, a commanding personality. And boy, did he ever have high expectations. And when I didn't meet those expectations, um, he let me know it. I can't ever remember my dad saying something nice to me without it being immediately followed by a criticism. Now, my dad is in heaven now. He got saved on his deathbed, and, and I have uh, no anger, no bitterness or resentment toward him at all. But the reality is I didn't know what a loving father figure was. I knew what a, a good father figure was or what a tough father figure was, but I didn't know what a loving father figure was. Now, when I got saved, I experienced the love of our Father in heaven. So stop blaming him for your father's failings. And then you've got, I'm going to give you one of Paula's favorite sayings, hands down, heart open. You've got to say, Jesus, based on everything that you did for me and the fact that your father and my father sent me, sent you for me, I'm going to wipe the slate clean and I'm going to believe that my father in heaven really loves me and then really get to know him. Now, the way you're going to get to know him is to get to know Jesus. Paul writes that he is the exact representation of our Father in heaven. Uh, He is the express image of that Father. So when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus even said that to his Jewish opponents. So get to know Jesus, and Jesus will pour out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit, and you'll be able to experience the fact of the the Father who loves you in heaven. So um, focus on Jesus. Jesus will reveal the heart, the character, the nature of the Father. And when uh, he does that, you will see just how wide and high and deep and long his love for you really is. Just really find out experience how much he loves you. Let me make one other suggestion. In your Bible, right in the middle, there's a Song of Songs, or some translations say the Song of Solomon. And it is a poem. It's a real story, an historical story, but it's also uh, has great spiritual or allegorical value to us because the way it's written by the Holy Spirit is it's a picture of just how much God loves you. Now, Jesus in particular, 
But the Song of Solomon is broken down into categories. You'll see three speakers primarily, three different narratives. One is of the beloved, the other is of the lover, and then the other is the friends of the beloved. So what you want to do, just you want to read it all. It's not a long thing, but 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 just start out by reading the parts that are subtitled the lover or 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 headlined the, the lover because not only is that Solomon talking to the love of his life it's Jesus talking to you and he's going to tell you how much he loves you he's going to tell you how beautiful you are over and over and over and anonymous if you're a man uh, you're just as beautiful to God as if you were a woman, so don't get caught up in the gender. But 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 that's the lover of your soul convincing you. And if you just let the Holy Spirit soak your heart and your brain in what he says in the Song of Psalms, it will make a huge difference and you will be abundantly blessed. Good question. Very, very normal question. I get it a lot. Jeremiah says, can you talk about the Jesus only movement? Are they right? Jeremiah, it's the, 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 the oneness Pentecostals or the Jesus only people are heretical. They're not, they're not believers. Um, the Jesus only, uh, people, um, believe that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's all Jesus all the time. And when they start messing around with the character, the nature of the Godhead, well, then they cross the line and just from wrong doctrine into heresy, and they're heretical. And so, Jeremiah, if somebody is a oneness Pentecostal, if they're a Jesus-only person, they're not truly born again because Jesus is not the Father, Jesus is not the Spirit, Jesus is the Son of God, who also happens to be God the Son. So the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Holy Spirit, and they're three separate and distinct persons of the triune God. Now, the Trinity is hard for some people to understand. We think one God, three persons. Well, wait a minute, Father, Son, Spirit, that's three persons, um, uh, but three gods, if they're all God, but it's not three gods. And I always tell people, instead of thinking one plus one plus one equals three, uh, think about one times one times one, because that equals one. And that's really what the triune God is all about. But those who say that Jesus is the Father and Jesus is the Son, uh, those people have crossed the line into heresy and are not saved. And you would be surprised how many of our, um, some pretty well-known popular preachers out there, you'd be shocked at how many of them are oneness Pentecostals. And uh, they're really, they're, they're not saved. They're not saved. You cannot mess with the Trinity. It is essential doctrine of the historic Christian faith. You don't have to understand it, but you've got to accept it. And once you accept it, then you'll begin to understand some other things. So I hope that makes sense to you, Jeremiah. Be very, very careful. Here's a question I can do very quickly before the end of the first half of the program. Uh, it's from Nancy. Where did Enoch and Elijah go? They went to heaven. I, you know, we don't have any details. We don't have any explanation. But they went. They went to be with the Lord. And uh, and they were taken. Elijah taken up in a whirlwind in a, a flaming chariot. And Enoch, we're just told he was walking with God, and then he was not. And I love that he was walking with God uh, for 300 years. And he so pleased God that God took him away. Now, Elijah, we know, is coming back. Enoch's not coming back. Elijah's coming back. Um, he's got work to do. During the Great Tribulation, he's one of the two witnesses along with Moses. Uh, but Enoch uh, has been with the, the one who loved him and the one he loved. It's interesting with Enoch, Nancy, because Enoch lived in a world that was completely given over to sin. And it says for 65 years, he lived like everybody else. And then God sent him a message, a prophetic message with the, the, the announcement of his son's birth, uh, Methuselah. 
And uh, Enoch got the message, and he separated himself from the world. Boy, what a great lesson that is for all of us. He immediately separated himself from that that Christ-rejecting, uh, God-hating world uh, and, and uh, walked with God. Imagine, for 300 years, he got up every day and just hung out with God. That's what we should be doing. But he did it for 300 years. And at one point, God was so pleased, he just delivered him from all of the pain. Now, remember, one of the things that he was delivered from was the judgment of the flood. God was so tender toward Enoch that he took him away from all of the wickedness and all of the evil. I wonder how many times Enoch slapped his forehead and says, oh, I can't believe things are this bad. Well, at some point, God said, you know what? I don't want to see you suffer. And he just took him away. So they went to heaven, and we don't have any more details, but but that's where they went. Nancy, thank you very much for the question. We've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program. The phones have been quiet. We'd love your calls. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Hey, here's something that you can pray about for us, if you would. Um... Uh, today, our teachers and staff for uh, Calvary Chapel Christian Academy came back to work. Boy, summer just went by so fast. And uh, what a blessing it would be if you would pray for them. Um, these are heroic figures to me. They love God with all of their heart. And I promise you, everyone that's working here is working sacrificially. We have a bunch of people that have been working for many, many, many years without any pay at all. Others who are working well below what they could get paid out in the secular world, but they realize that this is a calling. They realize that this is what God has given them the privilege to be able to do. And uh, I would love knowing that people are praying for them. Today was their first day back. Here is an anonymous caller to our studio who called in with this question. In Matthew chapter 9... When Jesus healed the two blind men, why did he not want them telling anyone about what he did? Um, caller, this is uh, uh, was a pattern in Jesus' ministry. He would often tell people, demons cast out, uh, lepers who were healed, as he would say, uh, don't tell anyone what I've done for you. And the reason is because he was on a schedule. And the time wasn't right yet, especially those very early in the in, in his ministry. Um, he would heal them. They'd get excited. He'd say, now be quiet. Don't tell anybody what I've done for you. And he knew that if if the word of the miracles got out, and, and, and of course, in, in every case, I, I can't think of one where it didn't happen. The people told everybody anyway. But Jesus was just letting them know, my time hasn't yet arrived. This is a gift from God to you. And uh, uh, he just was keeping that schedule. Uh, A couple of times in the Gospels, we read that they tried to come and take him by force. They wanted him to be the king now or set up his kingdom now. And and one of those occasions, Jesus just sort of went through the crowd uh, and the people couldn't see him. Uh, but, But it just wasn't his time. Jesus had a time. And by the way, caller, that time was April 6, 32 A.D., that was the day he was proclaimed publicly as the Christ for the very first time in what we call the triumphal entry. So that's why there was nothing more to it. And again, I think it's a little bit funny. You know, somebody heals you or casts a demon out and, and uh, you know, you're grateful, but he tells you what to do and you do just the opposite. So uh, word got out anyway in spite of him trying to conceal the the, the word. Here is our next question. 
David wants to know, does God punish children for their parents' sin? David, the answer is no, he doesn't. Uh, If you're listening to some horrible, horrible teaching on generational curses, no, no, a thousand times no. Uh, In fact, in the Old Testament, God says, I'm sick of hearing this proverb. Uh, sets the teeth of the children on the edge for the sins of the parents. Um, No, he doesn't. Um, the, the, The man who sins is punished or the woman who sins is punished by God. But no, God does not punish children for their parents' sin. Now, what he talks about in the Ten Commandments, he says that children to the third and fourth generation um, will will pay essentially or repeat the sins of their parents. Um, but but then he says of those who hate God, and and this twisting or this teaching is so badly twisted at times that it's given rise to a whole false doctrine of generational curses, and it simply isn't true. Somebody says, well, I, I've been cursed by my parents and the things that they did. Um, just open Exodus chapter 20 and say, do you hate God? Well, no, I don't hate God. Well, then it doesn't apply to you at all. And the reference there is not punishing the children. God is just dealing with the reality, and the reality is that that children often mimic the behaviors of their parents. That's the curse. The curse is that we're raised in an environment of drugs or alcohol or anger or abuse. And um, that's what we learn is normal. And only Jesus can break that cycle. So when you're born again, the old is gone and the new has come. So no such thing as generational curses. And a loving, just, holy God could not punish anyone for somebody else's sin except his own son. He did that for us. Here's a question from Manny. Does Philippians 2.12 imply that our salvation is not complete? No, Manny. uh, Philippians 2.12 is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, It does not say to work for our salvation with fear and trembling, but to work it out. In other words, it's something that we have, but working it out is simply something that we do uh, as we grow more and more in our faith, as we grow more in the knowledge of God. Um, and, and his will for our lives, we work out our salvation by being obedient, by trusting in the Lord, uh, and taking him at his word. So no, there's nothing incomplete at all about our salvation. And praise the Lord, Manny, um, you are sealed with a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. That's what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, which means that your salvation is complete Uh, Jude calls it the salvation once and for all delivered to the saints. So there's nothing that we can add to it, nor do we need to try. Here's another anonymous question. What's more important, the crucifixion or the resurrection? Well, you can't have one without the other. When I got this question, uh, my first thought was, that's like somebody asking me, well, are you a church or a school? And I said, well, we're both. Without the the church, there's no school. Our school is free, and it's supported by the church. So without the, the church, there's no school. But God said the school is is a, a, an irreplaceable part of the church and the body here at Calvary Chapel. Well, crucifixion and resurrection are the same way. The resurrection is glorious. It, it demonstrates that we have um, um, the, the, the seal of the promises that were made to us. But without a crucifixion, there would be no resurrection. So they're equally important. It's Jesus' death that gives us life. It's his resurrection that gives us hope. It's his resurrection that trumpets the the sufficiency of Jesus' crucifixion. So we consider Easter or or Resurrection Sunday anonymous, we consider that uh, the holiest day on the church calendar, the most important Christian holiday. Um, but we need to remember that that doesn't happen unless Jesus died. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And uh, without our sins being forgiven, it wouldn't matter if there was a resurrection. Jesus died for your sins. So uh, they're inseparable in terms of what's more important. 
340-9585. Sean says, uh, Pastor, what's the best way to grieve for a family member who died but was not saved? And how should we speak to other family members who say that he's in a better place? Sean, this is a really, really difficult situation, but it's also one that demands the truth. I say that because I want you to know how much I appreciate your heart in asking this question. Um, One of the things that I do when I'm speaking to family members of somebody who died and we either know they were not saved or they weren't sure if they were saved is I take them to Luke chapter 16. And I try to get very personal with them. I say, you know, here's what I know. It doesn't matter where your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife is right now as it relates to this discussion. But here's what they would tell you if they could talk to you. In Luke chapter 16, of course, is the rich man who uh, was in torment and he tried to get um, um, Abraham, Father Abraham, to send to send um, the, the uh, beggar Lazarus uh, to his uh, his family's house to tell him that Jesus is true, it's real, you need to be saved. And, of course, Abraham said, no, he can't do that. Um, they have every chance, even if someone were to raise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. Um, so the, the idea is that the, the family member in heaven or in torment, either place, would say to them, Jesus is real. And he's beautiful. And he loves you. And believe. And that gives you the opportunity, Sean, to say to them, look, if there's any chance at all that your loved one is in heaven, any chance at all, the only way you're ever going to see them again is to be born again. And if they're not in heaven, and, you know, we didn't know if they were a believer, if they're not in heaven, they would be pleading with you, pleading with you, to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We've got to tell the truth. We've got to tell the truth. And one of the things that we Christians do, we don't like to rock the boat. Well, they're grieving and I don't want to hurt them, but we've got to tell them the truth. You know, he's only in a better place or she's only in a better place if they were born again. I'm very direct at the funeral services that I do. I let people know that your loved one wasn't saved or isn't in heaven because they were a good person, because they deserved to be. They weren't in heaven because you loved them. If they're in heaven, it's because Jesus Christ loved them and he gave his life for them. And uh, I think that message is really important. And when we let things slide, you know, well, well, he's in a better place. When we let things slide, the reality is that we're not loving the people that are left behind. We need to tell them the truth and use that as an opportunity. I don't have anybody on hold, so I can take a minute here. I once did a funeral. Uh, A man who worked for me before I got saved, he worked for me. uh, I got saved at the end, but uh, uh, he worked for me for a long time. He was a good friend. Uh, He called me and said his son was murdered. They were riding with Hell's Angels at this point, and and, uh, his son got murdered in a drive-by shooting. And he asked me if I'd do the funeral. And I said to him, his name was Daryl. I said, Daryl, um, of course I'll do the funeral, but I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell people the truth. And and he was very gracious. He said, look, we know that you loved us. You loved Daryl. Daryl Jr. was the, the son who died. Um, and you're the only one that we want to do this. So you say whatever you want to say. And... Uh, I was at the funeral and and, a biker group and other people um, around his coffin was actually draped in the flames of hell. And it's open casket. So before the service started, people were looking. And at one point, a family member who I knew was saved, um, she walked by and she put her arm around me and she said, Pastor Ron, uh, at least he's not suffering anymore and and he's at peace. And I looked at them and I said, you know that's not true. Why would you say that? Well, I just want to believe that he's in a better place. He's not. And that, that was a very direct funeral service. Our, our kids were with us, our young, and they were young at the time. And um, um, they were a little bit 
afraid because I was so direct at that that funeral. So, um, Sean, you got to be honest, even when it's difficult. Don't just blow people down. Don't just um, know he's in hell. We, we need to be sensitive and we need to be tender. But we need to, to use the opportunity to give them a chance to go to a better place as well. Thank you for the question, Sean. I'm sorry for the loss of your family member. Pablo says, um, Pastor Ryan, how should I respond to cynics online who say terrible things about God, claiming he's evil? I want to reach them, but their hearts are hard. Pablo, you can't reach them. If you've told them about Jesus once, that's all you need to do. And I would tell them, fear God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and just drop it. And then here's what I would do. Remember, these are people that you don't know. They're online. Stay offline. Don't engage them. Don't argue with them. And certainly don't let anybody talk badly about your Jesus. I don't know why we stay. It's it's like being thrown in a boxing ring with Mike Tyson. He's going to beat your brains out. And he beats your brains out once and you get right back in the ring and do it again. That's what it is when we go to these online things and we're we're arguing with people. And and we, we rationalize it by saying, no, I'm really trying to reach him or no, I'm trying to do apologetics. There's no value in it. None at all. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about he loves them so much that he died for their sins. And if they would turn from their sin and turn to God, they could go to heaven. That's the only message that we need to communicate. So other than that, Pablo, just stay offline. Now, Pablo, this isn't personal, but I want to tell everybody. It is probably 98% chance that Pablo is not going to listen to me. Because we love to argue. We love to debate. And, and saying, well, I want people to get saved is just an excuse for our crusade. But, but really what we're doing is we're just wasting time. Jesus said uh, not to throw your pearls before pigs. And that's what we're doing when people's hearts are hard and they don't want to hear. And especially when they've crossed the line and are talking badly about our God, we need to run the other direction. You know, in this day and age of the Internet and the, the information age that, that, that we're consumed by, we're addicted to arguing. We're addicted to wasting our time. Imagine, and this is for Pablo and everybody else, imagine how much further you'd be in your walk with Jesus if you'd spend that time in the Word of God or spend that time taking a walk with Jesus and praying or spend that time serving your church body. Why do we get into the ring to get our brains beat in over and over and over? You know, drugs, when I grew up, drugs were the big problem for addiction. Now it's information. It's the Internet. It's engaging people in debate and arguing with them. And there's simply no value at all. So, Pablo, I pray that you'll be the 2% that will actually listen and say, you know what? I really aren't gaining, I'm really not gaining anything at all by spending this time online with these cynics. So I hope that helps. Here's a question from Jacqueline. Did Mary remain a virgin for her entire life? No, Jacqueline, she didn't. The Bible's pretty clear. Uh, she and Joseph had no sexual relations until Jesus was born. You can't read that any other way than to say that that uh, they had normal sexual relationships uh, that a man and a wife have, but after Jesus was born. And we also know that she had other kids. We have the names of the other kids in our gospel accounts. And so uh, it's not. It is Catholic fiction that uh, Mary was a perpetual virgin, that she and Joseph never had sexual relations. Um, um, they just dismissed the fact that that Jesus um, 
uh, or I'm sorry, that Mary uh, had the other kids? Well, no, that, that, that word could mean that they were cousins. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that. Aren't his mothers and his brothers and his sisters here with us? So it's really clear. And uh, the idea that Mary remained a virgin and that she remained sinless, uh, Jacqueline, is Catholic fiction. And it's very, very damaging. And it is heretical. That doesn't mean that there aren't Catholics who are saved. But it means that they don't have an understanding at all, at any level, about who Mary was. To to worship Mary, and they'll say, well, we don't worship her, we venerate her. Um, they worship her. Um, a, a big portion of the Catholic Church claims her as co-redemptrix. Um, it demonstrates that they don't really know Jesus Christ. And by the way, Mary would be embarrassed by the attention that she gets. 340-9584. I hope I say this right. Tommaso, um, Tommaso, uh, I know God makes all people, but what about kids who are conceived in sin? Um, Tommaso, uh, two things. One, God doesn't make all people. Uh, we are created by the um, um, means of, of, of inception that um, um, he's given us. Um, men have sex with women, they get pregnant, and kids are born. So that's a process, and it happens. Um, God made two people, just two, with his own finger. That was Adam and Eve. So it's very important that you make that distinction. God doesn't make all people. Now, the key here is, what about kids who are conceived in sin? Remember, God doesn't punish. I said this earlier in the program. God doesn't punish um, um, the kids for the sins of their parents. And so when somebody was conceived in sin, they are a, a living soul who God loves, uh, whom Jesus died for. And uh, those children are a blessing to the parents. Uh, those children are a blessing from the Lord. And they should never, ever be viewed as though uh, them being conceived by people that were sexually sinning um, was their fault at all. And we need to be careful about this. We have a tendency to say, well, well you know, that's an illegitimate child. There are no illegitimate children at all. I've seen God abundantly bless kids that were born um, out of wedlock. That's the old way of saying it abundantly, and I've seen him use those kids to bring their mothers uh, or sometimes their fathers to faith in Jesus Christ. So it's really, really important that we understand that those children are loved by God. They're objects of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and we need to understand that, Tommaso. Thank you for the question. Last question for the program. I can't do this one, so let me see if I can get Ginger's. Oh, Ginger says, I know you're currently studying Leviticus. What happened to the people who were unclean when they couldn't offer sacrifices? Were they beaten? Um, no, they weren't beaten, but they were just cut off from God uh, and, and because they couldn't offer sacrifices. What it means is that until they went through the purification process, they couldn't offer sacrifices for their sins. Now, the question, Ginger, is really important because what we have here is a picture of our relationship with God. You can be born again, but if there's unrepentant act of sin in your life, then uh, you're cut off from God as well. So uh, certainly they weren't beaten. Uh, people were unclean sometimes for very natural reasons, and, and there was nothing they could do about it. Women were unclean during their menstrual uh, cycle. Um, if, if, if the woman in the Bible had the issue of blood, if anybody touched her, they would be unclean. Um, and, and so it was not something that was anybody's fault necessarily. It just meant in Leviticus they couldn't make sacrifices for their sins, and so they had to wait until they went through the purification process, and then and only then uh, could they bring a sacrifice for their sins. So um, I hope that answers your question. You know, Leviticus has been, been it's a difficult study, um, but, but so far 
the Lord has been very, very faithful. And uh, I think the, 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 the overwhelming message of the book of Leviticus is that God hates sin. He just absolutely hates sin. But even though God is holy and we can't approach him when we're in sin, from the beginning, we had uh, the opportunity to reconnect to God. And let me use my last minute or so of this program to say that every single one of us, we have the opportunity to reconnect to God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter whether you've been obedient or not. You can say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. And purpose in your heart. Repentance means turning the other way. I'm going to be obedient, Lord. And we are completely and totally reconnected. First John 1, 9 is a treasure for all of us. If we confess our sins, that is to agree with God. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we'll take advantage of that, we will never be cut off from God. And no matter what we've done, that lifeline, that that saving grace is always available instantly and completely. So, Ginger, thank you for the question. Well, that does it for today's program. Remember, tonight we have our Sweet Summer Devotion series, our final one. Tennille Smith, I call her captain. She will be uh, speaking that cheer in her heart, and you will be blessed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.